Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we read from Leviticus chapter 2. When anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to Yahweh, his offering shall be of fine flour. He shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it and bring it to Aaron's sons the priests. And he shall take from it a handful of the fine flour and oil with all of its frankincense and the priest shall burn this as its memorial portion on the altar a food offering with a pleasing aroma to Yahweh. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of Yahweh's food offerings. When you bring a grain offering baked in the oven as an offering, it shall be unleavened loaves of fine flour mixed with oil, or unleavened wafers smeared with oil. And if your offering is a grain offering baked on a griddle, it shall be a fine flour unleavened mixed with oil. You shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. And if your offering is a grain offering cooked in a pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. And you shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to Yahweh. And when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. And the priest shall take from the grain offering its memorial portion and burn this on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to Yahweh. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons, It is a most holy part of Yahweh's food offerings. No grain offering that you bring to Yahweh shall be made with leaven, for you shall burn no leaven nor any honey as a food offering to Yahweh. As an offering of first fruits you may bring them to Yahweh, but they shall not be offered on the altar for a pleasing aroma. You shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings you shall offer salt. If you offer a grain offering of first fruits to Yahweh, you shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruits fresh ears, roasted with fire, crushed new grain. And you shall put oil on it and lay frankincense on it. It is a grain offering. And the priest shall burn as its memorial portion some of the crushed grain and some of the oil with all of its frankincense. It is a food offering to Yahweh. This is the word of the Lord. So our text today brings us to Leviticus 2. It brings us to the second type of offerings. We had burnt offerings yesterday. Today we have grain offerings. And this is a voluntary kind of offering. As we saw that word if um, yesterday several times. If is offering. If is offering. The voluntary offerings are part of the Old Testament practice as well. There are going to be some that aren't voluntary. Um... Those are the ones for the forgiveness of sin that we're going to see in chapters uh, 4 and 5 coming up. But these are, and the grain offering is similar. So you can bring a grain offering, that is something you have produced, something you've grown. You can bring that to the Lord. And when you do, there are specific regulations about how you make such an offering. So these are going to be made of fine flour. It's going to be an important part. So the the fine flour is taken, you then mix that with oil and frankincense to the Lord. So frankincense, that's the one to pick up on with your kids. Where do you know that word from? Where have you heard frankincense before? 
Well, that's the gift that one of the Magi, or the Magi as a group, bring before Jesus at the celebration of Christmas, uh, when they have traveled from afar, following the star that leads them to Bethlehem, and they find the one who has been born King of the Jews, Savior of the world. And they give to him frankincense, an offering, right? We know it's an offering of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These are kingly gifts. These are expensive gifts that they lay before the Messiah. It says that the Magi have a good deal of trust in this child. Even though they're not Jews, they haven't grown up with the instruction of Yahweh, but they've heard the prophecy of a Messiah who would come. And they're showing faith. It's a great account of how the Lord Jesus Christ would be not just for the Jewish people, but a light to the Gentiles, to the nations as well. So, continuing with this, then, you take that offering and you bring it to the priests. Aaron's sons, again, they're going to mention quite a few times in the book. You bring it to the priests, and they're going to take a handful of it. So, not the whole offering, right? However much you've brought, they're going to take a portion of that, and they're going to burn it on the altar as a memorial portion. That's the part that is calling the Lord to remember his people, calling the Lord to remember his promises to them. But the rest of it, well, before we get to that, it's a food offering with a pleasing aroma. Same phrase that was used of yesterday's burnt offerings as well. The rest of the offering, though, is for Aaron and his sons. A holy part, a most holy part of Yahweh's food offerings. So this is a food offering to them. God gives to the Levites, to the sons of Aaron. Why? Well, the, the Levites don't have their own inheritance of a land. Their inheritance is Yahweh alone. So when the people of Israel are brought out of slavery in Egypt and the Lord brings them to the promised land, he's going to divide that promised land up among the various tribes, the various 12 tribes, the 12 sons of Israel, except not Levi. Levi is removed from that grouping of 12. Joseph is split into two between his sons Ephraim and Manasseh to keep the number at 12. And so all those 12 tribes get their land, and they can settle in their land, they can build their homes, they can, they can grow crops, they can raise livestock, they can, they can involve themselves in whatever ways that they want to make a living to provide for themselves and for their families. But the Levites don't get that. Their inheritance is Yahweh alone. Their inheritance is to be his holy people who serve him in his temple or in his tabernacle at that original point. And so the Levites don't have the ability to grow a crop that they can sell at the market. They don't have the ability to raise uh, livestock that, again, they could sell at the market or slaughter for food. So the Lord is going to provide for them, and he's going to do it through the offerings of his people. Now, there are similarities with that to your pastor of your congregation today. Um, many churches struggle to care for their pastors, um, at least financially. Oftentimes the ones that can't care financially do a, a better job of, of simply loving on their pastor and or his family. Um, it would be an encouragement. We see several encouragements of such in the scriptures. I'm thankful to the Lord for my congregation and for their love that they show to my family. I, we, we much appreciate that. So, 
as you move into the, the next verse, we see another example. So if you're, you're bringing something that you've already baked. So the first one was pretty much unprepared, right? This one, if you bake it, unleavened. Again, fine flour, oil, uh, those same ingredients are being used. Why unleavened? That might be a question to talk about with your children. It's one that you might remember from the Exodus account. As the people of God are, are leaving Egypt, he commands them to eat unleavened bread. So when you put leaven in bread, we don't have a lot of different leavening agents we tend to use today. We would use yeast most often. Leavening agents make the bread rise. In ancient Israel, in their culture, and the way that they did things in the ancient Near East, you would work on bread the day before. So the, typically, it would be the, the job of the wife, the mother. She would make up the dough uh, for a loaf of bread, and she would set it aside. It would need time to rise throughout the course of the day. And she would take the bread that dough that she had made the day before, and she would bake that. So it's a 24-hour cycle. Prep a batch, set it aside, take that batch you prepped yesterday, cook that. And that would feed your family each day. And you're going through that rotation. As God is bringing his people out of Egypt, he tells them unleavened bread is part of the Passover meal because there won't be time. By the time that you're going, I mean, this is a night meal for one, but by the time that you're going to leave, you won't have had time for your bread to rise. So don't put the leavening agent in it. Now, the Lord is going to further build upon that picture throughout Scripture. A leavening agent is going to be considered to be sin um, later on. Not that leaven is actually a sin. Just a metaphor, a picture for it. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. So you put, a, you put sin in something, it destroys it, uh, is the sort of picture that you're going to get. So the Lord here, unleavened bread, because this is to remind them again, uh, we're going to see that also later in the text. This is pointing them back to God's promises. This is pointing them back to God's actions on their behalf as he has rescued them. So then you get unle unleavened wafers. And as we, as the Christian church gathers, probably the most of us use unleavened wafers in our time of worship as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together in his house. Um, I mean, it's like pressed bread, so it, it it's okay. Um, it's usable, right? It is technically bread, so it works. Verse 5, baked on a griddle. So here's another way to prep it. Again, unleavened, mixed with oil. That'll be broken into pieces, oil poured on it. So similarity, cooked in a pan. Verse 7, flour, fine flour, and oil. Bring it to the priest, right? Um, when it's presented, he will bring it to the altar. The priest is going to take from these the memorial portion. He will burn it, pleasing offering to the Lord. And then the rest is for Aaron and his sons. We see the same repetition here in this chapter again. Verse 11 gives us a little distinction from the previous part, though. So the grain offering, none of it to be made with leaven because they shouldn't burn leaven, nor should they burn honey. Notice there's no reason given here in this text for either of those instructions. The Lord just gives the instruction, and the people are to follow Lord's instructions. 
that's well and good. As we think about it today, we might ask, okay, well, why? I mean, why no leaven, which we just talked about? Why no honey? I mean, why not? The study Bible, our Lutheran study Bible, takes a crack at that by saying that this word honey, and this is true, the word honey in Hebrew is devas, that the, the word could also mean like the syrup of a fruit, and that, that syrup from a fruit could go bad. Honey really doesn't go bad. It kind of goes on forever. Um, I don't know, maybe. Maybe another connection here is the idea that this is something God has promised, right? They're to come into the land flowing with milk and honey. It's part of God's promise, and so he's holding this thing up for them in the future. I don't know. Maybe it's just something that the Lord said so that his people would follow his word, that they would obey him. Um, He gives us a task to do, and we do it. A test of faithfulness, in a sense. I don't know. Uh, Those are some options for you to consider, though. Verse 12, you can offer these things, so it's not that leaven's bad, it's not that honey or fruit syrup or whatever is bad. You can offer them as first fruits offerings. So that's when you just give of your best to the Lord. But they're not offered as a burnt offering. So they would be handled as a different type of offering altogether. We will come and see more of that later on as we continue through the book. Now, also in verse 12, 13, we have the idea of the salt in this text. The salt is to season all of their grain offerings that they give, and they should not offer one of these without salt. Salt is a tool for preservation, uh, to preserve food. So perhaps this is being metaphorically used to remind God's people that the Lord preserves them, that he has, it's the salt of the covenant. The Lord has made a covenant with them, with Abraham before them, and now with Moses on Sinai, that he is their God. He will multiply and make them into a great nation. He will bring them into this land flowing with milk and honey, and he will do it. Like, he is God. He will fulfill his word to them. So maybe the salt here is to remember that. Don't let it be missing from your offering. Remember it, because you are remembering that the Lord preserves you. Lastly, as we get to the final paragraph, um, if you offer these things, first fruits, well, make them your first fruits, right? Fresh, not just leftovers that's been laying around for a while. Fresh, first fruits, crushed grain, new grain. You see those, those same words kind of showing up again and again in our text. So the priest is going to offer that as well, part of it, and doesn't say the same thing, but assumedly the rest of it would be given to Aaron and his sons for food. So here we have another text. Once again, another type of offering. We don't have to do this anymore. We have Christ's offering once and for all that covers all of our sins for us. But we can make offerings before the Lord. We can bring gifts to him that are then used in his service. So we don't just bring offerings to God and burn them today, as uh, the Old Testament custom would be. But you can bring a gift of, and we typically offer money, and that is used to care for your pastor. It is used to care for people in your community as the church does mercy work around you. Uh, it is used to share the gospel in various ways that your, your church does. You could, in theory, to fit this text, you could 
as a family bake an, an unleavened loaf of bread that your church could use for the Lord's Supper. Some churches do that, and you can actually sign up to be a bread maker um, to make the bread that is used as part of the Lord's Supper that week. Uh, so that's a possibility. Um, if you've never made unleavened bread before, try it. Not as to not to do at home communion. We don't. That's not something that we do. Communion is done as the church family. But just to see it, if you've never seen it before, because it's a part of Israel's history. It's a part of the church um, to do something like that. We have the freedom to do such things to still bring offerings before the Lord knowing that Christ has saved us and that we don't have to offer things to save ourselves. We are free in that regard, and that is a wonderful gift. Praise me.